0: Allow me to add my word of welcome to you all as we are continuing in this series in the book of Genesis, this book of beginnings, which shows us who God is, how everything that we see came to be, and what our purpose is, and and our, our calling as people who are made in God's image. And right now, this weekend, we're kind of at a turning point in the book. If there were major chapter headings in the book of Genesis, this would be chapter two, you see, the first chapter really looks at how God made the world with beauty and order and design and called it good. And furthermore, how he made us as human beings in his image so that we might reflect his goodness to the rest of creation. Now, the tragedy of these chapters is that we broke it all. We, we broke God's creation when we turned our backs on him and broke relationship with him. And really Genesis chapter 3-11 through 11 is this long downward spiral of people going their own way, turning their backs on God, and and God pursuing them and trying to recreate and restore everything that has been ruined and broken. But here now, what we see is that God is going about recreating all of creation by starting with a single family. It really now zooms in and looks at the life of Abraham. And, and it really begs the question, what does it look like for us to walk with God in the recreative work that he's doing? That's really what Abraham's story is all about. What it teaches us as people is, what does it mean to walk with this God who is indeed the almighty creator of the universe, this God who is both just and merciful? What does it practically look like to join him in the work that he's doing? And this is an important lesson for us in our modern day age because there are a lot of people out there who are longing for religious experiences. I mean, you just go to the bookstore and you see that uh, the self-help section is, is growing, but, it, but it's growing in a really fascinating way. Uh, it's being renamed sections like spirituality. It's not just about self-help or psychology, it's about getting in touch with something transcendent, something beyond ourselves. The problem is, is that we are often looking for a quick fix, something that's gonna happen instantaneously. And this is why Abraham's story is so important. Because Abraham's story is about how walking with God is a journey. It's not a quick fix. In fact, it's filled with a lot of messiness and and screw ups and honestly detours. And yet through the midst of it all, what we see is we still continue to see God in all of his beauty and goodness and faithfulness the ways in which he continues to walk with us even in the midst of the mess. And so if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your Genesis journal with you, we want to encourage you to to get that out, um, to join us, because we're going to be looking uh, really closely at Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. Now, in the verses leading up to our story for today, what we see is that God has called Abraham. He's called him away from the familiar. He's asked him to leave his father's house and his home and to go to a land that he will show him. And he gives Abraham these incredible uh, these incredible blessings, the, the promise of of making him into a great nation, of providing him with his own land and of watching over him and blessing him as he goes on this journey, turning his back on everything that was familiar. And right here, right now, in the passage that we're looking at for today, what we find is we actually find the first threat to God's relationship with Abraham. It actually sets off a series of stories that we're gonna be looking at over the next several weeks, seeing the ways in which there are certain things that, that almost break the relationship entirely, certain things that come up in Abraham's life which, which cause him to doubt and to turn away or to try and bring about God's blessings on his own terms. And the first of these challenges, which we find right here in Genesis chapter 12 is the challenge of fear. This is what we read. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went uh, on a journey to Egypt for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. So say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life might be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So right here, what we see is that the thing that threatens Abraham's relationship with God is actually fear. Now, fear is something that is important to really kind of wrestle through because there are many different kinds of fear. There are some kinds of fear which are healthy kinds of fear, and then there's other kinds of fear which are unhealthy. The healthy fear is a natural response to imminent danger, right? It's that kind of fear reaction that we have when we know that our lives or the lives of our loved ones are instantaneously threatened. For example, when we see our child run into the street and we notice an oncoming car, it's that burst of adrenaline that causes us to run into the street, grab our child, and, and get them to safety. Or likewise, when we find ourselves, you know, out uh, on a hike and suddenly we hear that that rattling sound and we realize that there's there's a rattlesnake nearby and so our adrenaline goes up and we try to get out of the area to get out of danger. This is a healthy response. It's designed to protect us from those things which, quite honestly threaten our very lives. But there's an other kinds of fear which become a lot more generalized. This is when fear becomes kind of our all-encompassing approach to the world, where we start to ask the question, what if and imagine fears that aren't even really there, dangers which aren't even actually present. We give this a lot of different terms. Perhaps the most popular one today is anxiety, right? And anxiety is when that fear response becomes generalized. I think of uh, something that actually the noted psychologist Rollo May said in his book, The Meaning of Anxiety. This is what he wrote. He said, anxiety is what we feel when our existence as selves is threatened. It's when fear becomes so encompassing, it undermines our very sense of who we are and why we're here. And we suddenly start to see the entire world as a threatening place that that threatens to undo us and to to ultimately do so in a way that dissolves not just dangerous to our direct lives, but everything that we hold dear. It's this all-encompassing kind of fear that can overwhelm And undermine us and and our calling and our purpose. And what we see in this story is that both kinds of fear are at work. Abram has a very natural fear response to a famine in the land. He starts to worry that he won't be able to feed himself or his family or his loved ones. And so his natural response is to try and get to a place of safety where uh, suddenly there's no longer that imminent danger and he can provide. He can provide for himself and for his loved ones. But then what we quickly see is a much more generalized fear that even as he goes down into Egypt, this place which hopefully has the kind of food that he's looking for, he comes up with kind of a strange plan, right? He's worried about what if. Well, what if even going to Egypt is dangerous? What if suddenly something happens there which could, could, which could ultimately threaten us? And he honestly kind of concocts this really bizarre plan of, of having his wife, Sarah, pass herself off as his sister rather than as his wife because he's afraid. He's afraid, what if the, the great rulers of that land look at my wife and all of her beauty and dignity and they, they decide to take her for their own and they kill me as a result? And the danger of this is that it actually undermines everything that God has called Abram to do. God called Abram to leave his familiar home to a land that he would show him. God called Abram to trust him, to trust that he would provide for his needs wherever he went. And he told Abram that I'm going to make you into a great nation, that your offspring will be uh, more numerous than the stars in the skies than the sand on the seashore that through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This was God's calling to Abram. And now all of that is threatened because sure enough, when they go down into Egypt, the Pharaoh ends up taking Sarah as his bride and bringing her into his palace. And while now we Abram has his material blessings, everything about the blessings that God promised him are now in danger. He, he, it's threatening his future family and the offspring that God has promised. It's threatening the land that God had given to him. What Abram finds is that suddenly he's, he's far from the promised land, he's endangered his family, he finds himself far away from the place of blessing. In many ways, it's almost kind of a, a retelling of the Garden of Eden story, isn't it? the moment that uh, Abraham, uh, the moment that Adam and, and Eve start to doubt God and God's provision and God's goodness and the guidance that God has given them and they, they take and they eat of the fruit, well what ends up happening? Adam tells the Lord he's afraid. and he hides and he blames. And the result is is that not only does it harm him, it ends up harming his wife, and it ends up leading to them being exiled from Eden. You see, this is a lesson that we all have to learn over and over and over again because we all wrestle with it. Fear has a way of endangering our ability to follow God when suddenly our fears become bigger in our minds and in our hearts than the God who has called us. Abraham encounters a very real threat in the famine in the land. But rather than bringing his fears to God and asking God for direction, he takes matters into his own hands and in doing so ends up threatening the very basis on which he was called. That's the danger that fear has when it's left unchecked, when it suddenly becomes much more generalized and we start to think that it's all on us to protect ourselves and our loved ones. we start to take matters into our own hands, but maybe in ways that aren't reflective of God's intentions for us that aren't reflective of his plans for us it can lead to so much paralysis and uncertainty honestly i think that that's something if if i'm if i'm being really transparent it's something that i've wrestled with i mean when uh when i was called to end up taking over as senior pastor of trinity i don't think any of us anticipated having a senior pastor transition happen in the middle of a pandemic And uh, with the constant pivots in the world around us, with all the different tensions that we've seen politically, with all the fears and frustrations that have come up as a result of mitigation uh, measures and and concerns for people's physical health and well-being, stepping into such an uncertain time, I will be honest, there have been moments when I have daily woken up and had to wrestle with fear. Did I really hear God's calling correctly? Am I really supposed to be the person to lead Trinity? Am I really making the right decisions? And, and I will be honest, there are days when that has felt so overwhelming, it's almost paralyzing. And that's what fear does. It can cause us to doubt whether God is really a- actually able to provide, whether he's actually able to protect and to bless, whether we're even on the right course at all. And so if that's you, if that's something you're struggling with, believe me, I've been there. I think a lot of us have, and so the question is, well, what's the antidote to fear? It actually makes me think of something that we find elsewhere in the Bible. Um, there's actually this this beautiful song, uh, beautiful song that we find in the book of Psalms, Psalm t- uh, one twenty-eight. Psalm 128 highlights a truth that we actually see over and over again in the Bible, that the more you read through the scriptures, that there's actually this connection to actually the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, being a source of joy and happiness. I want you to listen to what this psalm says. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, the more I read Psalm 128, the more I am convinced that it was inspired by the life of Abraham. Because all the fears that Abraham had about whether or not God was going to bless him and provide for him and his household and for his family kind of come to a head in Genesis chapter 12. And yet what I feel like we see in this song is that what God says is he says, if you feared me more than you fear the other things of the world, you will be blessed. You see what Psalm 128 is telling us is that the fear of God sets us free from the fear of anything else. It might seem kind of strange to us today, but stop and think about it for a moment. When we fear God, the one who by his very word brought everything into being, the one whose name is Almighty, the one who holds all the spinning galaxies of the universe in the palm of his hands, honestly, everything else seems small by comparison. Famines, threats, uncertainty, all of these things just shrink into nothingness before the the majesty and the immensity of God Almighty. And that's really what this psalm is saying, is saying when you actually fear God, everything else seems kind of small by comparison. But it goes beyond that. I mean, notice what it actually says. It doesn't say, just say, better is the person who fears the Lord. It says blessed. This word blessed in the Hebrew actually means happy. Happy is the one who who fears the Lord. Well, why? What is it about fearing the Lord that leads us to happiness, that leads us to joy? Well, that's where I think another pattern in the scriptures is so important. There are many times in the Bible where people come face-to-face with God and their reaction each time is fear. When Moses learns that the one speaking to him from the burning bush is God, he falls on his face in fear. When Joshua sees this great commander standing before him and realizes realizes it's the Lord, he falls on his face before him. When Isaiah goes into the temple and sees God on his throne in glory, he falls on his face and he's frightened. He's terrified. And yet what's so beautiful in all of those encounters is that the moment those people fall down in fear, God says something so incredible. He says, don't be afraid. You see, they're rightly afraid because of his power and majesty, but what God is saying is this. He's saying, don't be afraid because I love you. Don't be afraid because you are welcome in my presence. Don't be afraid. Because I'm the God who desires a relationship with you. I have a calling for your life. I have a plan and a purpose for you. And you see, when we suddenly realize that this immense, all-powerful God is also the God of love, a God of relationship, the God who desires to enter into our lives and walk with us, suddenly fears truly do melt away because we realize that he's for us, not against us that those other things that we're afraid of don't have to have any hold or sway over us because our God will walk with us and defend us. In fact, that's the thing that God promised Abraham, when he said, leave your household, leave your land, leave the places of familiarity and go to a place that I will show you. By its very nature, that call implies that God is going to take him by the hand and walk with him into whatever is going to come next. When we realize that the God of the universe is on our side, suddenly everything else just pales in comparison. And in fact, that's exactly what God reaffirms he doesn't leave Abram stuck in Egypt. In fact, God fights for him. It says that the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And so Pharaoh called him and said, what have you done to me? And and when the truth comes out and, and Abram finally admits what he's done wrong, Pharaoh sets them free and actually blesses them and gives them more possessions and sends them back to the promised land. And when they get there, God walks with Abram, and I just want you to notice what he says. He reaffirms his promises to him. He says in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. God reaffirms his promises. Not only does he deliver Abraham out of a situation of his own making, but he reaffirms his commitment to him, his love for him, and his promise to Provide, And the reality is, God does that for us too. He does it in Jesus. God who is Emmanuel, God with us, God entered our world to walk with us, to call us to be his own. And in the face of our fears, Jesus makes us some really incredible promises. I think about the night in which he was betrayed, knowing that the very next day he was going to be uh, not only imprisoned, but beaten and executed on a cross. He knew that fear would seek to overwhelm his disciples. And so he said these words in John 16. He says, look, I've told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God never promised Abraham that walking with him would be easy. Likewise, Jesus doesn't say that walking with him suddenly makes all of the dangers go away, but what he does promise is that he's overcome them, that he will walk with us into them and provide for our very need. I love actually how the great uh, missionary Jim Elliott uh, wrote in his journals. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And one of Jesus' great promises to us is, is this. He says, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus promises us that although the road may be hard, he will be there. That although it might be difficult, it's the path that leads to life. And that when we walk with him, we're gonna experience just what it means to be blessed when we walk in the presence of the God who by his very word not only made the world but who now calls us his own. The greatest thing that we have to fear ultimately is death, and yet Jesus tells us, I have overcome it. And he did it for us out of his love. He laid down his life and he rose again so that we could know there is nothing in all of creation that could ever separate us from him and from his love. I love how uh, the Apostle John writes in his very first letter, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. God's love for you casts out fear. God's love for me casts out fear. And what that means is that when we're afraid, we can lay all of our fears at his feet. So what are you afraid of? What's holding you back and causing you to doubt God and his love and his presence? I would invite you to lay those fears at his feet to look once more to Jesus and the promises that God has made to you, that just as he has risen from the dead, so too you may walk in newness of life, that because you've been claimed by him, there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can ever separate you from that love, and that even when the road seems hard and difficult, you can know that the one who saved you, who redeems you, now walks with you. And so it's with that in mind, I want to close in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you promise to walk with us even in the face of our fears, that you don't even let our fears get in the way of your pursuit of us. And even when we cave to our fears and make horrible decisions the way that Abraham did, you don't let us go. You deliver us from our own mistakes. You call us back to you. You reaffirm your promises and you point us to your provision. Lord, that's what you gave us in Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we name the fears in our hearts before you. We lay them at your feet. And Lord, we, ha- we pray, we ask that you would help us to lift up our eyes, to see all that you have done for us, that we might walk in faith rather than being paralyzed by fear. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.